Game of Thrones Season 6, Episode 6 is over, but we're just getting started answering your feedback questions here on the Game of Thrones feedback show here on Post Show Recaps. And now, here are the two guys who are still going to have more bread. I'm Rob Sister, and here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I'm very full. I've had too much bread. Oh, no. I ate too much, and now I'm going to bomb vomit. Oh, I had lunch yesterday. I ordered lunch, and the Cheesecake Factory does oh! free delivery now on my Stop it. on really? my on my app that I order from, which is you've not, got cheesecake to go. Yes, they do. For, well, no added charge for delivery. Wow! And I did get a salad from there, but they did include a large amount of bread, and I was like, uh, definitely there. There was uh, negating no, the hard work of the salad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I definitely was tarleying it up. Yeah, Randall Tarley would not approve. Yeah. Would Heart not Spain be would have been uh, cutting my hand right off. <laughs> you were you were buttering the that bread with a Heart Spain butter knife. <laughs> yes. And yeah. so yeah, that was what was going on at my house. Josh, this I'm so excited to talk with you about Blood of My Blood. Yes. Uh we missed you on Sunday night, Rob. Mm-hmm. It was it was a fun show with Antonio Mazzaro. Maester Mazzaro filled in. That was really fantastic. We had a lot of fun talking about it. You watched the show from the road. Is that correct? Yeah, Technology, I was watching man. it with my sling box uh, at the Reno airport. And then I was watching it then as we were taxiing for a long time on the runway, the rest of it. So I did get to catch the whole episode on Sunday night because I came home and I posted the podcast. I'm like, well, I don't want to get spoiled by the podcast when I'm editing it. So I needed to watch it. It before I listened to it. And so I actually did get to catch uh, the live part of it while I was in the car. It was a fantastic job by you and uh, Maester Antonio. Great show. I also understand that you watched some After the Thrones this week. How did that go? Yeah, it's about the same. After uh-huh. the Thrones is going to After the Thrones. And, uh, you know, they do a very good job. Talking Thrones? Talking through it. Yeah. yeah. So good job uh, by those guys as well. Well, so before we launch into feedback this week, then you and I have not discussed this episode. So let's talk it through a little bit. Give me some of your hot takes. What were you thinking after this episode? Okay, well, I would say that my hottest take, and I don't know if it's uh, really I'm out on a limb on this one. I did think it was the weakest episode of the season. I agree. I I I feel like that there's been so many high highs. I felt like that one, you know, even if it wasn't super low, I felt like it was the lowest bar that we've seen here in season six. Of, of 60 episodes of Game of Thrones. This is, you know, is it top half? I don't think so. Uh, is it, you know, bottom 20? I don't think it's bottom 20. You know, I think that it's it's a it's a solid middle of the road Game of Thrones episode that had uh, really strong points. I think that there were some great things happening. You know, the Benjen reveal was super cool and that action scene was really awesome. Um, I think that there's, you know, a good amount to unpack with where Arya's head is at right now. Mm-hmm. But I think just in terms of moving the needle, other than actually procuring needle, uh, maybe it was a little bit slower than where the season has been kind of breakneck so far. I wonder if a little bit of that is Samwell Tarly's fault. Yeah, the Samwell stuff I thought really did uh, drag on. I actually, uh, the Benjen thing, I I had a little bit of an issue with that, too. Okay, cool. Uh, What's your issue with Benjen? Because my issue was with, we had almost seemingly the same exact thing as with Brienne and Pod earlier in the season with Sansa and Theon, where it's like, oh, our, our heroes are in trouble, something bad is about to happen, and then here comes a 
person just out of nowhere, seemingly to find them and save them at the last possible second. I feel like that we are getting a little bit close to the borderline with doing that repeatedly on the show. Enough uh, deus, deus ex machinas. Enough of these like out of nowhere characters swooping in and saving the universe. Just at the nick of time. And I understand, oh, the three-eyed raven told me you were going to be here. But you cut it a little close, uh, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't think that you could get there on time to save, you know, a child of the forest. Right. Like you, could, you couldn't have maybe like put like, uh, I don't know, you could have gotten there to help Hodor right. out. Right. You couldn't have parked it like right outside <laughs> of the children of the forest hideout and just been uh-huh. waiting like outside the door ready to go. Right. Like, no, it has to be at this exact second. That's yeah. where we have to come in. Fair enough. All right. Well, we can get all your hot takes as we go through the feedback here. And I think that we'll end up starting with Benjamin. So whenever you're ready to rock, we can just. I'm ready. I'm ready. Well, actually, before we jump in there, let me just uh, take a moment and also just set up. We also have the Game of Thrones book club coming up with you and a special guest this week. Special guest. Not Benjamin Stark. The podcast has been recorded. It is not Benjamin Stark. It is not Terry Schwartz either. All I will say is our special guest has something to do with the Blackfish. Okay. All right. Maybe a name in common. All right. We're going to have that show coming up. And of course, in addition to uh, what you're hearing here today, there are many, many shows on all of post-show recaps proper, which are nominated for podcast awards in uh, two different categories in the TV and film and the People's Choice Podcast of the Year. Uh, Daily voting is open at podcastawards.com, and uh, we greatly appreciate any votes you would be throwing at the post-show recaps. All right, let's get into it. All right, let's get into it. Let's talk about Benjamin Stark. Let's dive into a little bit about his reveal. Jackie Tomer had written in and just straight up says, I'm confused. What happened to Benjamin exactly? Mm -hmm. Uh, Rob, do you have a good answer for this? Well, I think that he went north of the wall. He was on a ranging mission looking into the White Walker incident. He was left for dead. He got picked up by the children of the forest. They healed him. He is kind of, he was mostly dead, but not all the way dead. And now he's sort of somewhere in between. He's like wandering between half dead and half alive. Yeah. He's like not quite a zombie. He's like, uh, he's like that zombie at the end of day of the dead, except a little more advanced than that. Yeah. We'll go with that. Yeah. You know, the reference, you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Uh, but he's like kind of white Walker esque. He's like white Walker ish. He had been stabbed in the gut by a white Walker with an ice spear. He was left for dead, but before the magic could take hold, the children of the forest found Benjamin Stark and plunged dragon glass into his heart. And I guess they must have perfected the technology between then and now because Benjamin seems like a swell guy. Which it seems like that's the weird cure to fixing somebody who is becoming a white is the sort of same dragon glass which turned the human into a white walker. Right. Seems like the antidote is also the cause of the issue. Yeah, it's like you defeat dragon glass with dragon glass. Maybe you put it in backwards. Right, you take it out. <laughs> right, you put the negative dongle that way and put it in backwards. <laughs> dragon it undoes it. Yeah, that's the key. Yeah, that's the key to it all. So yeah, so that is how a Benjamin Stark is born, or a new Benjamin Stark, anyway. And it's sort of uh, a mishmash of characters. 
in uh, the books. Mm-hmm. There is a character from the books called Cold Hands mm-hmm. who did not seem like he was going to be on the show. Cold Hands, uh, Warm Heart. Cold Hands, Warm Heart, Fiery Heart. Uh, if he was going to be on the show, he should have been on the show in season four, probably. The fact that he wasn't there made a lot of fans assume that just wasn't going to happen. Um, and there's, you know, certainly there had been theories that that character and Benjamin Stark who no one had heard, you know, hiding her hair from since that he, you know, since he left the wall in season one and since he leaves the wall in the first book of the series, everyone's kind of thinking like, oh, are they the same guy? There were some, you know, there's some thinking that George R. R. Martin kind of debunked that theory, but at least for the show, they are the same guy kind of killing two birds with one stone that we get the cold hands two character, two rabbits with one cold stone creamery uh so, so would that be a bad flavor rabbit's blood ice cream probably probably but i'm not gonna say definitively. you're not gonna say no to it right right if you give me a free sample i'll try it yes so yeah so i think that the, you know the show is kind of giving us benjen and cold hands in one breath really cool to see benjen stark back because i just was not sure that that would ever actually happen but there was just this feeling there was this pervasive feeling among a lot of fans that this would be the way that it would turn out this week, that we would get a Benjamin Stark reveal. Finally, uh, Terry Schwartz had been tracking this in the book club that brands visions were very heavy on Benjamin Stark in the past in Winterfell. So she thought that maybe that was a clue. OK, I could see it. So we got some Benjamin. We got some Benjamin on Game of Thrones, and that's great. And I wonder how long he is going to stick around for. Uh, we're bringing Benjamin back and we'll see where he goes. So let's take this voicemail from Daniel Strunk, who had a question about where Benjen has been, why we haven't seen him sooner, and maybe that will instruct us on where he's going to go next. Hey, Robin Josh. Daniel here from Florida. Thought it was a good episode. Not great, but good. Um, looking forward to the commentary you guys have. Love the podcast. My question is, why the heck did Benjen Stark need to be so secretive? Was there a reason that he hid himself from the Night's Watch. I mean, I'm guessing based upon what we saw that he couldn't go south of the wall. But why couldn't he just, you know, ride his horse up to the wall, wave his little fire chain thing around until they lowered the gate, and then they could come out and talk to him, and he could say things like, hey, guys, there's a White Walker army that might come kill you sometime and almost killed me. Like, why did his lips have to be so sealed? Why did he have to hide? I can't think of any logical reason. Can you help me out here? Thanks so much. Again, love the show. Lots of good questions there. Do you think that his lips were sealed because of frostbite? <laughs> That's certainly possible. Like it was just like iced over and he just couldn't move his mouth at all. And it took him like four seasons to finally be able to speak. Right. I think if you really want to crack this rabbit open, I think that what you probably have to go with is the three-eyed raven says to him, look, here's what's going to happen. Your nephew, Bran, is on his way here with you know, Hodor. You know, uh, you might know him as Willis. Uh, <laughs> they're, Willis. On, they're on uh, their way here, and they're going to do something very important here. You need to just sort of, like, hang out, lay in the weeds, uh, wait for them to almost die, wait for them to get about, you know, uh, you know, two Yay miles far. away. Yeah. Right. And then... Just go wait for like the, you know, uh, all of the whites to like just about get them and then come in and save them. And Benjamin's like, oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. That makes a ton of sense to me. And I'm going to do that. Right. And we're going to give you some sort of uh, mace, not mace Tyrell. Uh-huh. And you, uh, you know, and work on that practice using that because you're going to need Spend that. Spend your free time really learning how to just like twirl that thing. Yes. 
Because. You really want to just like be able to get like a lot of really it's really in the wrist because mm-hmm. that'll be important because you want to let all of the skeletons get as close as possible, but then still be able to kill them as they're about to kill Bran and Mira. And you might want to study like a lot of Mortal Kombat and just like focus on those finishing moves mm-hmm. because that's really what we're looking for. We're looking for you to do some really cool video game pose with your action sequence here. Now, for uh, Mr. Benjamin Stark, is he also going to get off of the Night's Watch based on that same uh, Jon Snow loophole of, ah, I, it, my watch technically was until the death, and I did die, technically, so I, I am also free of the Night's Watch. Don't you kind of think that's like what he's done? Like, he didn't <laughs> report back to duty, and it's like, all right, so maybe he can't go through the wall. Maybe he can't pass through because magic. Uh, but why wouldn't he, you know, roll up to Craster's keep and be like, Hey guys, I see that you're all hanging out here. Just FYI, I'm Benjamin Stark and I'm half white Walker now. And this should really inform you guys that white walkers are a thing and we should probably rally together to do something about it. Well, I just think he has to be on his marching orders from the three-eyed Raven. I think that for whatever reason that he didn't do those things, I think it's because the three-eyed Raven told him that he have to hang out here and wait for Bran to show up. I think you have to take care of that and practice with uh, these weapons because you have a bigger job to do. Yeah, just really get good with that mace. I think so. Yeah, and that's the only thing that makes sense, because otherwise these are all really valid points. Uh-huh, yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, he has become a disciple of the Three-Eyed Raven. Um, we don't know the full extent of what the Three-Eyed Raven was able to do and what Bran as the new Raven potentially is able to do now. Um, but if the Raven could give Benjen convincing arguments for, you know, why things are important, if he can, you know take him on visions of the past, if he can show him things and convince him of his importance in the war to come, then I think that that would be enough for a guy with Stark nobility. You know, with that that honorable sensibility that the Starks tend to have. I think you could see that guy being like, yep, I'm signed up for your war. I will do whatever you tell me to do. I will get to practicing with those mace things right away. Get on it. And I also think that with the return of Vengeance Stark, I think that this also speaks to that the Three-Eyed Raven kind of did know all of this was coming because Benjen Stark isn't like, whoa, what do you mean? The Three-Eyed Raven is dead. Oh, my God, we're all screwed. Oh, my God, we're all going to die. You know, he sort of was like, okay, yeah, I kind of knew this was going to happen, too. He seems the pre- raven now, Bran. He seems pretty calm. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he seems really, really laid back about it. Like, this is the way things are going. We're going to get you to the wall, and by the time you're past the wall, the Night King is going to come, and you will be ready for him. Yeah. Uh, it's not like you need to be ready for him. It's you will be ready for him. So I think that Benjen is speaking with a kind of confidence that comes from somebody who has been told a thing or two about a thing or two. Yeah. I also have to eat some crow in our podcast that we did with Jason Somerville. I felt like that, boy, you guys talking about Benjen Stark is going to show up out of nowhere. I felt like no way, no how. What are the chances that that happens? Right. And uh, boy, you guys did uh, see the writing on the wall. Well, I do think that it's the kind of thing where like there's there's some there are some points of the story where they haven't they haven't adapted a certain character yet. And if that character hasn't come onto the show, then that character is probably not coming on ever. And to me, it felt like given the way that things shook out with the three eyed Raven, it was kind of like if we're going to get a Benjamin Stark or a Cold Hands on the show ever, it's happening next week. Uh, mm. That's the only time it will happen. Otherwise, it's never going to happen. 
And so that was kind of my feeling behind that was like, it feels like if they're ever going to do it, this would be the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that was a lot of people's thinking behind that one. Uh, and good. You know, it's great to have another Stark. It's another Stark reunion. So many Starks getting together this season. So many Stark reunions. But now where do they go from here? Well, I think that it's what Benjen said. It's like you're going to go through the wall and you're going to be ready. And I think that Benjen's next next task is to get Brandon Mira back on the other side of this thing. Um, and then maybe they link up with Jon Snow and Sansa and everybody else who is, you know, battling it out in the North so that they can keep the North safe enough to battle it out with the White Walkers when the White Walkers come. Okay. That would be my hunch. All right, well, let's dig a little deeper into Bran. And, um, and Bran, you know, he continued to have visions this week. There was some question about now that the Three-Eyed Raven is dead, is Bran still going to be able to go back into the past? Is he still going to be able to see things? Seems like the answer is yes, he can. Um, But we are wondering about what he did see. First of all, did you have any thoughts, Rob, about the specific visions that Bran was witnessing throughout the beginning part of this episode? I didn't have too many specific thoughts on it. I feel like that that's all been uh, pretty well covered. I mean, you and Antonio did a good job of talking about that. I also watched your video that you did on THR.com where you did a nice deep dive into what was going on with the video. And so uh, kudos to you on that. Thanks, Robert. And so I feel like that the Mad King is probably the biggest thing. The only thing that I really thought about that is now that the Mad King specter has been raised, and I know there's been so many theories this season about is Bran going to go back in time and make the Mad King get mad? I hope that's not what we're doing. I hope so, too. Uh, I, I do I do think like that's probably taking it too far when you're you're having Bran completely transform the Targaryens and the Targaryens are famously loony. You know, it's you flip a coin and either they're insane people or they're fantastic people. And that's really historic with them. That's part of the DNA. They talk a lot about how that's the product of like many, many generations of incest and inbreeding. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's really baked into the Targaryen DNA. And for Bran to be the guy that pushed Aerys Targaryen over the edge just does not sing true to me. You know, it just, it just does not sound right to me. Um, I, uh, like I said to Antonio that I do think that the only payoff there would be that Jamie Lannister would, you know, be the guy who not only pushed Bran out the window, but also corrected Bran's biggest mistake. And there's some poetry there, but I don't think it's a, a great enough poem to make Bran responsible for what happened to uh, the Mad King. And I would say that just furthermore on that, I mean, what I might like about that is the same way that we saw Arya get some sort of deeper understanding into Cersei, that she's not the monster necessarily that she thought she was. I think there's also that possibility for Bran to see Jamie in a different light, but at what right. cost? But at what cost, really? Yeah, I don't know what the gain is there. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't see any kind of epic collaboration between Jamie and Bran. Uh, like, uh, even like a hip hop jam between the two guys uh, off the wall. You know, off the, off the, out of the tower. I don't think that that's happening anytime soon. So I don't know what the big gain would be for Bran to have new appreciation of Jamie, other than to you know maybe stop feeling so bad about what happened to him. But I feel like all of these powers are kind of, you know, smoothing that over. I feel like he's past that a little bit. I think he's past the paralysis. Because just to do a little bit of a deeper dive into that timeline of the Mad King and when Jamie ends up murdering him, 
like he's already like kind of pretty mad during that whole thing where he's killing Brandon Stark uh, and Ned's father. Like that's already happened, right? At that point in the timeline. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like that, I mean, Bran really should get to him when he's probably just starting to go mad as opposed to just that one day. I don't really know what that's going to ultimately change to not have him want to burn everybody. Well, putting all of that aside, this was a question we got from Albert Vargas. Uh, Albert wrote in and said, why are we assuming that Bran has any comprehension of his latest vision? Uh, I've been seeing articles saying he should know about the Mad King and about Danny flying Drogon over King's Landing. But based on his other visions, I would assume that these are just a series of confusing images to him. He might still need to talk to someone who could give him a different perspective about what he's seen. Perhaps Benjen could be that person. Um, so what's your take on this, Rob? Do you think that Bran has comprehension over what he has seen? Or is he going to need to talk that through with somebody? Is this like watching a Dharma Initiative video that has uh, segments of the video cut out and is going to need to fill in those blanks before he comprehends the full picture? Yeah, that's a really good point in terms of does he get what he's seeing? Who is Daenerys Targaryen? Who are a lot of these people in his visions? So I think that's a fair point to bring up. I mean, he can't just like go on Wikipedia or the Game of Thrones Wikia or THR.com and then slash Game of Thrones slash Game of Thrones and uh, get a download on all this stuff. So it probably is pretty confusing. I don't know if Benjen necessarily unless he got the download from the Three Eyed Raven or that Brandon has access to the three-eyed raven google where he can sort of just he's, go in. he's yeah. got access to the dock yes <laughs> yeah he has all of that available in like a 700 page document right like was it like the matrix where that stuff just got downloaded to him where he's just like oh, okay well now i know the whole know kung fu like world of ice and fire now at this point yeah, I bet he's, uh, yeah, ignorance is bliss and all of that. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, we haven't really seen Bran be emotional since he has been through this whole ordeal with Hodor dying and Summer dying and the Raven dying. He wakes up from his vision at the beginning of this episode and looks at Mira and says, they're here. And that's all he says, really. And it's not even like a lot of concern. And then Benjen swoops in, saves the day. And the next time Bran is awake, it's kind of just, oh, Benjen. Wow. And they're just talking for five seconds. So we really don't have any sense yet of how Bran is feeling about the visions that he's seen. Does he comprehend it? Does he need an assist? But we get it from Benjen where he says, um, you know, where, where Mira says the Raven is dead. And Benjen says something like he's been reborn. Um, and the implication there is that Bran is the new three-eyed Raven. And if he is the new three-eyed Raven and the three-eyed Raven himself had said, it's time for you to become me. If he is that guy, is he a little emotionally detached now? And is he, you know, more all seeing than we know? Are we not invited into his level of comprehension yet because he knows more than we do at this point? Oh, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yes, that's right. So uh, I feel like that we've got still a few more episodes this season to sort of figure out what's going on there. JWC had asked, and I think this is kind of a little evergreenish, but it's worth asking. Do you think that Bran has the ability to warg into the Night King? If so, could he potentially sacrifice himself to end the war between the humans and the White Walkers? I guess no. I don't think he has that ability, but I mean, I feel like that, that would be kind of a real cheat to be able to sort of uh, end this whole thing. Maybe that's why the Night King wants to kill Bran so bad. He's like, don't yeah. work into me, bro. Yeah. He's really, you know, he's the one guy that could make me sort of just like walk off a cliff. Right. And so that would be a bad thing for me. 
Got to be honest. I mean, we joked about it during the road to Westeros, but Bran really had been working out and he is working out big time now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's all over the place. He's jacked. All right. Where should we go next? What storyline would you like to discuss next, Rob? Uh, You tell me. I feel like there's a lot of stuff in King's Landing as well to talk about. There's a lot to talk about in King's Landing. Uh, And actually, to kind of segue it from the visions that we saw from Bran this week, let's take this voicemail from Robert Lanehart about what we saw in Bran's vision in connection to King's Landing. Hey, Robin Josh. This is Robert Lanehart from Salt Lake City, Utah. My question this week refers to Bran's visions. While Mira is dragging him through the forest, Bran is seemingly skipping throughout time, witnessing important events in history. We get our first glimpse of the Mad King, who is shouting to burn them all. This is interlaced with shots of green wildfire being poured, and near the end of the sequence, we get a quick shot of a wildfire explosion. As the story goes, the Mad King wanted to burn King's Landing to the ground. But as we know, this never happened. So why is there a shot of wildfire exploding? Instead of Bran seeing the past, could Bran instead be seeing a vision from the future? Tyrion noted in Season 2 that there was a large stash of wildfire beneath King's Landing, and Cersei has said before that she's willing to burn the city to the ground. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. Thanks, guys. So what do you think about this? Was this prophetic? Was this like we're going to see this happen? Is wildfire going to spill out into King's Landing at some point in the future? Or was this connected to the Mad King? Correct me if I'm wrong, though, but didn't Tyrion exhaust that supply of wildfire Did during the Stannis it? raid at I don't Blackwater? Know if he exhausted it. I know he absolutely used it, you know, but did he use it all? I'm not sure off the top of my head. I mean, whose benefit would it be to then, you know, burn down King's Landing? Nobody's. It would not be beneficial to anybody. Uh, but you know me. I am an advocate of the idea that King's Landing is effed. That uh, it is not going to work out well for King's Landing. And this would certainly be it. This is like the equivalent of nuking the city. You know, mm-hmm. it would be napalming King's Landing. I just don't know what that would ultimately do to really take out the townspeople of King's Landing. I mean, if you want to take down the Red Keep in some sort of symbolic torching of the Iron Throne, I could see that. But I feel like just like taking out Flea Bottom, right. I feel like, what, what's that doing? Yeah, it would be bad. It'd be very bad. But I feel like using wildfire within the city on any level is not going to have positive results. And anyone who's thinking of doing that is probably not thinking fully. And it could be an accident. It could be something like that. I don't know. But I had only been starting to think about this recently within like the last day or so that maybe that was a vision of the future that maybe maybe wildfire is going to come into play again and it might not be great for King's Landing. I think it's meant to be tied into the Mad King stuff because I think that it's visually hard to depict that, oh, I'm going to burn the city down, you know, other than him just saying it over and over again. I think that they might have had to cheat a little bit and show you visually a little bit of what he has in mind, even though it never happened. Maybe burned a little bit of the city down. All right. Well, this was a segue because I have to imagine you didn't really want to talk about the High Sparrow of it all. Uh, as we're as we're starting to talk about this King's Landing storyline, so just, terrible. Just generally, what what what's the what's the reaction? What's what what was what was happening when you saw how that was resolved this week? That there was no blood spilled. The High Sparrow forged an alliance with Tommen. Antonio and I predicted that Tommen was going to reach Ollie levels for you that night. No, I blame I blame the High Sparrow more than I blame Tommen. I mean, Tommen is just a nice dumb kid. He's just a dumb little king. 
and he's not like a stupid little incest baby like Joffrey. I mean, he he's just like I mean, a, he like, is, but he is, but, but he's, he's a nice like, version of yeah. That. He's just like a dumb puppy dog incest baby, and I think that the High Sparrow and Marjorie are just manipulating him, and he doesn't have like negative intentions, but he's just so dumb. And it is frustrating to watch him go through this with the High Sparrow. It's a little frustrating. All right, well, let's turn to our very good friend, Omri from Jerusalem. First of his name, has a voicemail about what's going on in King's Landing. I'd love to get your take on this one, Rob. Hey, Robin Josh, how are you? This is Omri from Jerusalem, first of my name. So I think we can all agree that Marjorie is putting on an act, a very, very good act, but still just an act of this newly found religious person. And I think we can also all agree that the Sparrow isn't a dumb guy and he can see through her. My question is, what do you think each of them is trying to get out of this uh, arrangement, this alliance between the crown and the sparrows? I love this question. And I'm curious, you know, just to kind of dial it back a little bit further. Marjorie and Tommen make this alliance with the High Sparrow. Marjorie talks to Tommen about how the High Sparrow is not all that he seems to be, and Tommen seems to agree. Episodes earlier, Marjorie is, you know, studying with the High Sparrow, listening to his sermons, all of that. She goes to Loris and having, you know, kind of like said to the High Sparrow's face, like, you know, kind of feigned interest with him, goes to Loris and is saying, like, he's manipulating us. He's manipulating us. So you got to imagine that Marjorie's not actually on board with the High Sparrow, right? Or do you think that she's actually converted? No, I think that that's the saving grace of all this for me is where is Marjorie on, in all this and what is her plan? Because I think that Tom and I think he's sort of oblivious and is just like going along with the flow. But I think that she is up to something. Is the sparrow in on it? Does he know what she's doing? I feel like that he doesn't because I kind of feel like if he did, then why let her go through with this? If, you know, he's going to be on the other end of this plan, like why well, let her get further along with the plan? Well, I mean... I guess, but if if you know that your enemy is plotting against you, and yet part of the plot involves giving you more power only to take it away later, why not walk through the door at least far enough to be in that position of power, and then with your eyes wide open, seeing where the daggers are coming from, you plot how to make your move. You make your move before she can make hers. So maybe it's worth the risk of going on board with someone like Marjorie, who is clearly faking this um, so that you can be aligned with the crown in kind of this irreversible way. And then you get to make your, your strike before Marjorie gets to make hers because now you're so powerful. Yeah, there is certainly that potential. That's definitely something that could be going on. I'd like High to think- Sparrow is going to be the king of the seven kingdoms in like three episodes. Mm-hmm. What I want to know is how did Tommen outfit the Kingsguard with new breastplates so quickly. Like how were Jamie and Cersei and the small council, were they just completely asleep at the switch with this? I mean, was Kevin Lannister, was he on board with this plan? Well, you do see Kevin is hanging out by Tommen's side in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when Tommen is at the Iron Throne and he's sending Jamie away. Uh, so maybe, I don't, I don't know if that's completely impossible. He wasn't a huge fan of this plan to send the Tyrells in, in the mm-hmm. first place. But uh, I think he might've been on board with this. Because, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, he wasn't like shaking his head like, oh my God, what a mess this is. This <laughs> common, he's out of control. He was sort of like, oh, okay. All right. Well, this is, uh, Jamie, you're, you know, you have to listen to the King. Listen to Tommen. Gotta listen to the King. Gotta listen mm-hmm. to Tommen. Uh, that's interesting. Hadn't really thought about that. 
Kevin Lannister also has his son Lancel involved with the High Sparrow, right. so maybe yeah. he's like coming around on uh, the Faith Milliden and what they're up to. And oh, maybe- that makes a lot of sense because, like, why would he want his son to get killed by Tyrell forces? That's a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm fully on. You've you've convinced me. I bet Kevin Lannister is in on it. I could see him brokering the deal or at least having a role to play in it. Um, interesting. I like that. Okay, we'll see where that goes. Like that quite a bit. A uh, big fan of that. Let's take another voicemail. This is fun. This will get us segueing into another storyline from the episode. Mike from Boston has a quick question for us. Hey, Rob and Josh. It's Mike from Boston. My question is this. Which man of a certain age should we expect to survive this season? Walder Frey or the High Sparrow? Mm. All right. How about that? Walder Frey, first of all, comes back to the show this week. Were you excited to see Walder Frey? I was excited to see Walter Frey. I do like the Walter Frey, especially on Game of Thrones. As a character. Not as much on The Strain. Shagoy! Although he was probably the best part of The Strain. Shagoy! (laughs) Yeah. So I was happy to see him back. Happy to see him back, especially because you got to imagine that guy gets his comeuppance at some point. But who gets their comeuppance first? Is it going to be Walter Frey or will the High Sparrow? I mean, the High Sparrow is rising to power in King's Land. If we've wanted him to fail... I really did think that he was going to fail this week. I was very surprised that that storyline continued. And now I'm wondering, like, does it just continue indefinitely? Is there any stopping the High Sparrow? So if you had to put money down on the table right now, having just come back from River Run It Up, let's gamble again. Mm -hmm. If you're putting money down on the table, are you betting on the High Sparrow to make it out of the season alive or Walder Frey? I feel like that Walder Frey seems more vulnerable because I think that he's just such a horrible person. But who is the person who is going to kill Walder Frey? I mean, who is going to be the person who shows up? Unless you're going to say, oh, Brienne comes down to River Run and then she's the person to do it. But like, who is the good guy in that story that's going to have access to him? I mean, he's not going to be out on the front lines. So you're going to have to have somebody come into his castle into the twins, like who's going to be that person? The unfortunate thing is that Walter Frey might make it out of this story alive. Yeah. You know, I think that that might be like the brutal truth of the world of Game of Thrones. As great as it would be to see somebody just like pluck Walter Frey's face right off uh, and then like, I don't know, feed him to some dogs or something. Something awful, something really terrible to have happen to that guy. As great as it would see because he was so awful and he perpetrated the Red Wedding and you want to see vengeance against that character... I think that it might be more in tone, you know, more more in line with the tone of the universe if Walter Frey survives. And like yeah. the, the lesson is like the guy who makes that awful, awful scummy move sometimes makes it. I just feel like there's more threats that are around the High Sparrow than Walter Frey. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's possible that both of them could make it out alive. I think it's possible that uh, of the season alive anyway. And I think it's possible that both of them could die. I think if you just had to say which one is likelier to die first, I think you got to say the High Sparrow just because there is so much danger in King's Landing right now and so many important characters in King's Landing. Although one of them just left. What do you think about Jamie Lannister leaving the King's Landing storyline? You know, it's interesting because as somebody who has just finished uh, A Feast for Crows, uh, the audiobook, it seems like uh, that we're going to be trying to now we skip that 
part of the book. And now it seems like that, uh, you know, you're going to have these characters going there and sort of like circling back to stuff from one of the books. Yeah, you thought that the Dorne storyline was going to eliminate the Riverland storyline. Not so fast. I don't know about that. Yeah, which really then in hindsight, I'm sure you guys talk about this on the book club, but I'm not really sure why we did that then last season, if we're going to go double back and do that this season. But okay, well, let's see where it goes. What are you going to do? All right, this is a question from our Philly about Jamie, speaking about Jamie and as Jamie is heading to the Riverlands. Let's look at this voicemail from our Philly. Hey, what up, Robin Josh? It's Rich Roberto, you boy, our Philly. So I want to talk to you about the Kingslayer himself, Jamie Lannister, because dude had a rough week. We saw him bested by Bernie Sparrow. His plants go up in smoke. Then he's stripped of his title as the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard by his son, which has got to be a pretty freaking humiliating night for him. And he ends up right back where he began in Cersei's arms. So that leaves me with two questions for you. One, has the, has he officially squandered all the goodwill that the audience had for him? We had some sympathy once we began to understand his motivations. But now that he's in lockstep with Cersei again, can we still root for him at all? And two... What's it going to look like when he's reunited with Brienne at Riverrun? Because it seems to me like he's emotionally in a very different place now than he was the last time they were together. Thanks so much, you guys. Have a good one. Great questions, as always, from Rich Filberto, our boy, our Philly out here on the Internet. So what do we think in terms of Jamie? Did he squander anti-hero goodwill for you, Rob? I don't think so. Not necessarily. I mean, do you feel like that people are out on Jamie? Certainly there were points in maybe uh, season five uh, where people were like, hold on, is Jamie a good guy? But I feel like that right now, I don't think that people are, I'm not hearing people talking about I'm out on Jamie because he was uh, back to, you know, being uh, paired up with Cersei. I think the thing is, is like, so the Dorn thing was terrible. Uh, you know, in hindsight, it was just really not good. Um, and for Jamie or as a thing you watched on a TV show, both, <laughs> both for Jamie, it was awful. And as a thing you watched on a TV show, uh, it was not great. It was just really not great. And it was kind of not a great use of the character. I don't think. Um, and now since we've had him back, what has he really done? You know, this past episode was his big confronting the high sparrow moment. And nothing happened. And now he's been sent off to River Run. So I don't think that it's that we're completely out on Jamie Lannister. It's just maybe more it's like time to do something with Jamie Lannister. And I don't think that that's Nikolai Costa-Waldo's fault. I think he's a great actor and I think that he plays Jamie Lannister really well. But I do think that the show has kind of struggled with what to do with Jamie. What are you saying? He's like Lady Crane? <laughs> yeah, he's like Lady Crane. It's not his fault. It's not his fault at all. Okay. Uh, I, I think that, you know, the show has struggled to figure out what to do with him on a storytelling level. And hopefully the Riverlands thing kind of pushes him back into a good spot because I think it's now a little bit more than a season and a half that there just hasn't really been much to do with the character. Okay, so uh, we'll see. But I'm not out on Jamie Lannister by any stretch of the imagination. Sure. Well, and, and spe- I feel like I'd have to be in on the High Sparrow to be out on him <laughs> sure. after. Oh, he went head to head with the High Sparrow. Right, right, right. Well, I think what's also worth talking about is if this is the time to get back into Jamie Lannister, if people are out on him, it is very great that he is heading to the Riverlands at the exact same time that Brienne of Tarth is headed there. And their relationship in, you know, season three and all of that, that was some of the best drama uh, that we got that year. And the relationship between those two characters is one of the fan favorite relationships of the show. So I think linking those two characters back together 
could get very interesting. It could get heartbreaking. It could be exciting. Oathbreaking. It could be oathbreaking. <laughs> yeah. So who knows? I, I think that that's going to be. I think that's going to be good. Uh, or at least it's got promise. So I am. I am hopeful. I am hopeful that putting these two characters in the same storyline is going to be a boost for Jamie. Not that Brienne needs the boost, but I think Jamie needs the boost. Right. But I think it could be particularly interesting because I think that they're now going to be on the opposite side of the table right, of yeah. matters. So I think that there could be some conflict here between these two characters who do have a personal fondness for one another. Yeah, no, I think that's going to be uh, potentially devastating. You know, that's why I say potentially heartbreaking that that could not be great. Uh, we've certainly seen people who have had close relationships on this show uh, drawn lines on opposite ends of the battlefield, and it hasn't worked great. I'm looking at Jon Snow and Grit, for example. Uh, hopefully it doesn't get that tragic, but it's certainly not off the table that it could. Mm. You know nothing, Jamie Lannister. You know nothing, Jamie Lannister. Um, why don't we talk about what happened with Danny a little bit? Okay. Um, which is, you know, this final scene of the episode is Danny on the dragon, on Drogon, barking fire, talking a big talk, and rallying up, you know, really getting the Dothraki on her side. First of all, did you like this scene? Did you think this was a good scene for the episode? I just felt like that we ended up, I mean, as you guys discussed on the show, Antonio mentioned this was Danny's one big speech in a foreign language uh, per season. I just don't know necessarily what it changed uh, by the outcome of it. I also saw a lot of discussion on the internet this week of what happened to Danny's horse. What happened to Danny's horse? Yeah. Did Drogon eat Danny's horse? That's how she got Drogon to be uh, controllable. Mm-hmm. She's like fed him a snack. Yeah. It's a great point. Yeah. So um, we don't know necessarily what happened to that. But so, uh, yeah, we'll see. And uh, again, the uh, idea of, you know, I just need 1,000 ships. Uh, we had last week with everything going on over in Pike with one exactly 1,000 ships. Right. So I feel like when you can sort of see the seams, uh, I don't like that as much. It, I mean, like it does now feel like the Greyjoys have to be coming to Marine, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, 100%. <laughs> without happening. a doubt. That is happening. It's seemingly where it's going. It's yeah. almost kind of like in a video game where it's like, you know, you have a character who's walking around uh, with a key in his pocket and then you find like a door with a lock and it's like, oh, okay, I guess this key must fit in this lock because it's the only key in the world and this is a lock. Right. right. That's a more flattering comparison than what I would have made, which is like, it feels like a, like a rail shooter where like the game is on a rail and you can only move in one direction. It's like, uh, I don't know if you ever played the house of the dead, uh, which is like this arcade game where you fight zombies and stuff and you're not walking around the game is just pushing you from scene to scene to scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it feels like we are being pushed in the direction of a Mirene and Greyjoy encounter. I think that that has to be on the table. Okay. So, I mean, we're fully expecting that to be the case. Yeah. Um, so this is a question from Jackie Tomar. Where has Drogon been? Great question. Great question. I think Drogon's just been hanging out. What do you imagine Drogon has been doing since last we saw him? Eating horses. Eating horses. He really developed a healthy appetite. Yeah, because yeah. like I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse right now. Yeah, he heard hungry as a horse, and uh, it was actually hungry for horses. Yeah, so he's just like swallowing up horses from Whole. the Calazar. Yeah, wholesale, right, left and right. I mean, he got big. One thing that I think has been glossed over, um, and this is a great comment from Rob uh, Francis, who had said that uh, we're kind of overlooking the idea that Danny is 
flying Drogon pretty well right now, right? Uh, she really seems to have mastery over this creature. Uh, and I think that's something that we certainly missed on the live show, that Danny does seem to be in more control over Drogon than we have ever seen her before. Granted, we only saw her fly on Drogon once before. Um, but now it looks like Drogon is, you know, at her command. This could right. be a very big, good development for people who want Danny to get to Westeros. Yeah, how did that happen? I don't know. She fed him the horse. I think so. That was it. Horse feeder. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't really know because it seems like the last time she flew on him, he just flew like directly into the Great Grass Sea. And she had no say over where he went. But now I guess that sort of like they've, I guess he figured it out. They've bonded now. Mm-hmm. So there's something maybe uh, to that. So hopefully then they can go ahead and get those other dragons in line and then uh, they could really be off to the races. That would be really great. All right. Let's stick in Essos. Let's talk about the Arya and Bravo storyline. This is a voicemail from Amanda Fallon about um, why the Faceless Men might be asleep at the switch with Arya. Hey, Rob and Josh, this is Amanda calling from House Fallon. I have two questions for you, both about one of this season's most punchable characters, the Waif. First, if she and Jock and Hagar are all-knowing and all-seeing, how did they miss the fact that Needle has been buried nearby this whole time? And did you see the look on the Waif's face when Jockin told her to make Aya's death quick? Are we going to see the Waif attempt to torture Aya for a while until, at the last minute, Aya pulls out Needle and sticks it right through her stupid Waif face? Let me know what you think. Boy, Amanda, tell us how you really feel about the Waif. (laughs) All right, so let's take that in both parts. Uh, First of all, how did the Faceless Men miss out on Needle? That was really bad. Bad job on the Faceless Men's part. Yeah, that was really a bad job. I always assumed that they kind of knew about it, and that was one of the reasons why they were suspicious of whether or not she was the girl was no one or otherwise. So if they just actually didn't know anything, that, that seems like a major oversight. Major oversight. It seems like they didn't know would be my guess. Otherwise, they would have taken it. You know, They would have yeah. done something with it, or they would have had somebody post it up to watch it. You would think so. Uh, and just to go back to the play which I also felt like uh, did go on for a bit also in this past episode. Sure, sure. I would have to say that, you know, if the idea was no, they legitimately wanted them to kill Lady Crane. I guess we don't really know why unless we just presume that Sansa just like paid off the faceless men to come in and put a hit on the like fake Sansa, paid off the faceless men to just put a hit on Lady Crane. Because And is that what they do? They're just sort of like hitmen for hire. Basically, they'll kill anybody. Yeah, if the price is right. I, I thought there was like some morality there. No, I, I they think were like it's killing bad people. No, I think that's the whole point is there's no morality to it. You know, it's the, does death only come for the wicked? Uh, does it, death does what it does? And we are the servants of death. We are we are servants of the many faced God and we deal out death. And that is our job. You know, that is the only role that we have. And if we make a little money doing it, then that's great. And I think that that's kind of the philosophy of the House of Black and White. Yeah, it just seems like so confusing to me that they would ask her to go kill somebody who was an actress playing somebody that she actually already knew who she wanted to kill anyway. Like, I feel like that there, I I just don't understand, like, like, I feel like that there should have at least been some sort of precursor. Like, look, Ari, all right, we want to do something. This is a little weird. Okay, so just follow us on this. Well, they wanted to see if she would do it. You know, they wanted to see if she would go through with it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this is her first contract. It's obviously a complicated one for Arya. And if Arya can pull this one off, then she's in. She's like, good. It's like such a backwards thing that you would think that, okay, I know this is a person that is playing a person who you have bloodlust for that you can't wait. And now we want you to give up all of your revenge fantasies. But in this one instance, we want you to kill somebody who is playing the part of somebody that you already want to kill. Okay. This so just is like, this is the revenge fantasy, revenge fantasy. So to me, it was like sort of like a double reverse thing where it was like, we want you to give up your bloodlust for these people, but go kill this person who is playing one of the people you want to kill anyway. Yeah. It's a little complicated. It's pretty complicated. A little complicated, but you know what else is complicated? What's that? Taking people's faces off and then putting them on your own face. And now suddenly you look like that person. Yeah, I don't understand necessarily why that works either because you're not getting cutting off their hands or their skin or anything like that. So yeah. I don't really understand how it how it all works. And I don't understand, like, they don't ever seem to be putting on a different face, but whatever, we won't get into trying to figure out how the magic works. Do you think that we're going to see the theater troupe again, or was that it? I think that's probably it for them, right? Okay. Yeah, I think so too. But this was a question from John Rumsey about the play. John wrote in and said, one of the most interesting things about the play in Bravos is that it was very pro Lannister, except for Tyrion. I think maybe it could be inferred that it's the crown propaganda. I think it may show the reach of Kyburn on Cersei's orders. If this is true, I think it's interesting to think about where the command from Cersei to Kyburn is leading. Can people be converted into being Cersei fans? Will this play play into the wars to come? Okay, so that's pretty interesting. I'd have to go back and take a look at the first part of the play also to see if it's completely... I, I, was it pro-Joffrey also? Because Yeah, Joffrey like, is painted in a very flattering light throughout the whole thing. Other than, mm. you know, the genital warts and everything, but that's backstage. Yeah, that's backstage. Uh, so I have to go ahead and see. I mean, Tywin Lannister isn't painted in the most flattering light. I mean, the most flatulent light, perhaps. Yes, they do kill him while he is on the john. Mm-hmm, and play a lot of fart noises. I have to feel like that this is a rogue operation. I think that they're just sort of like, this is the modern day, you know, SNL troupe of like a political satire. I think that this is not necessarily a Lannister production. I mean, don't forget, I mean, Cersei, if you're saying Does that Kyburn, mean that the Cersei is like the Kristen Wiig of this troupe, like the star who like if they lose her, things might be a little bleak for a little while. I think so. If she leaves the cast, yeah. although they've got Sansa, uh, fake Sansa waiting in the wings. So She's I think they'll be good. fine. She's all right. Yeah. So uh, I don't think that this is necessarily has the Lannister fingerprints, unless you're telling me that Kyburn has like, uh, you know, has always wanted to do comedy. and that He's been like <laughs> really sort of just like biding his time in alchemy and like potions and stuff like that. Yeah. He in another life. This is why he has been uh, like, you know, kind of like, viewed as heretical in the community of maesters is that he broke his chain and went on a comedy tour and it just did not go well. He's trying to get like the clown shoe <laughs> chain on his, yeah. uh, live yeah. at the Citadel. <laughs> yeah. It's maester night live. <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of comedy out there for maesters. <laughs> Musical guest, the band that played at the red wedding. <laughs> wow. And your host, Maester Kyburn. Yes. <laughs> what a great show we have. Oh, it was awful. Uh, really bad. All right. I guess we should talk about Sam and Gilly and then we'll close out. How does that make you feel? Sounds great. All right. Let's do that. Let us take this voicemail from Seth from Virginia. Hey, Robin Josh. Seth from Virginia here. I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on Sam's dad. 
Is he really the worst? He's going to kick Sam out the very next day after getting there. But even after finding out that Gilly was a wildling, he was still going to let her and little Sam stay in his keep. I mean, he's not the nicest guy ever, but he's not the worst, right? All right. Is Randall Tarly the worst? And I think we can contrast this with a question from Jonathan Schwartz, who said, how would you rank these three fathers? Tywin Lannister, Randall Tarly, and Stannis Baratheon. I would say that he is not the worst so that we've seen in Game of Thrones. We have seen some horrible, horrible dads on Game of Thrones. So okay. probably of the Game of Thrones dads, he's probably like top five in the best. Wow! <laughs> top five, baby? Who are the five better dads on Game of Thrones? Sam Ned Stark, Samuel Tarley himself. I mean, he's like not. He's a he's a foster okay. father. Fine, Don't, fine. I'll give I'll give you Sam. I'll give you Ned. Who else? Give me Sam. Give me Ned. Uh. Uh. uh <laughs> slim pickings. Uh, I'll I'll give you Lord Tully. Okay. <laughs> He seemed all right. Mace Tyrell seems like he was probably not the worst dad. Just a bit of a nincompoop. Fine. And I'll even throw in Robert Baratheon. <laughs> Bobby B at least was the king. So yeah. he gave his kids cool stuff. Yeah. Okay, he was like so- a neglect. You know, he was a negligent father, but he wasn't, you know, uh, he wasn't like calling them fat and threatening to kill them and right. strip them of their titles and all of that. Okay. For a so- time, Stannis Baratheon was king of the list. Uh, and then he, you know, burned his daughter alive. Okay, so I'll say that Randall Tarley, not top five, but probably top 10. He's definitely top 15. (laughs) So there are many, many terrible dads. The standard is not that high. Low standards. Yes. So that being said, in terms of uh, Stannis and who was the other one? Uh, Tywin Lannister? Yes. I think that he's the best. I think that Tywin is the second best and uh, Stannis is the worst because he, actually, he murdered actually murdered his daughter. One of his kids. I mean, <laughs> if Tywin not for was, that, he would have been best of those three. Mm-hmm. Tywin was bad enough that one of his own kids murdered him. That was so, really bad, yeah. Yeah, he was kind of bad. I mean, he was pretty cool to Jamie for the most part, uh, but then... But Randall he, seems to be pretty cool to his other son as well. To his other kid as well. Um, but he did try to make Cersei marry Lancel, which she didn't want to do. So, I mean, he did some some bad stuff along the way. We could bat this around forever. The point is, Randall Tarly does suck. <laughs> he does suck. Um, but you know, he likes his one kid. So, I mean, at least, at least he likes one of the kids. Like, I mean, to be the worst dad, you have to be, you know, horrible to all of your kids. Uh So if, if If you ask Dickon, (laughs) I would think he'd say, no, my dad is awesome. I've got a rad dad. If you asked who? Dickon, isn't that his name? Is that his name? I believe that Sam's brother is Dickon. Is it pronounced Dickon? Give me a second here. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. Oh, breaking news are <laughs> happening now. <laughs> Again, I will point to, I watch these shows with the closed captioning on. That'll so help. That'll help. Dickon I... <laughs> did stand out to me. All right. All right. Cool. Uh, not prepared for that. Did not know that. Yeah. You would think of the two brothers, the one that would be picked on would not be the one named Sam. You would think that maybe Randall would be like, and by the way, give Dickon your name. <laughs> 
Yes. We only had one good name that we could think of, and we wasted it on you. <laughs> we had one really good name and one awful name, and mm-hmm. those were the only two names we came up with. Right. I mean, it could be worse. They could have named Sam Dickoff, but they did not. That's going to be the third Tarly brother. I, I certainly hope that there was an NSFW tag at the top of this episode because we've gone off the rails here. I mean, th- th- that is literally <laughs> the character's name is Dickon. Oh, boy. Okay. Yes, indeed. So what happens? It's not in- pronounced uh, Dickon. <laughs> is that French? <laughs> yes. That's the French pronunciation. Across the narrow sea, that's yes, how I pronounce indeed. it. So what happens if Samuel Tarly, who has taken Heartsbane, he has taken the Valyrian sword, and Randall Tarly comes to claim it, and Samuel kills his father? Where does that put Randall Tarly in the bad dad group? Because now he has been killed by his own son, which suggests he was pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still pretty bad. I think that... For he would have to start to really, you know, maybe be hurting Gilly for the for Sam to kill his father. Right, I think at right. some point, he would say, "Fine, you could take it, Dad." No, oh, you think he'd give back Heartsbane? I think if Dad was being, you know, enough of a jerk about it. Interesting. All right, well, let's take one final voicemail. Heartsbane, we can talk about after we take this voicemail from Andrew from Ireland about what's going on here in the South. Hey guys, this is Andrew calling in from Ireland. So I picked up on something quite interesting during that uh, Breaking Bad-style family reunion with the Tarleys. Um, So when Gilly mentioned that Sam killed a White Walker, Sam's brother kind of laughed it off and said, oh, they don't exist. And I think that's quite interesting that the people of Westeros are quite ignorant of what is happening up north. And how do you think that's going to play out? You know, are they going to just eventually going to have to realize it once there's a White Walker standing in front of them? Or what could happen? All right. So, I mean, is the comfort that we are to take here in the fact that House Tarly, or at least that Randall Tarly, is a real jerk to his son, is a real dick on to his son, <laughs> uh, is the is the comfort that we're going to take away from that that one day a White Walker will show up at his door and convince him that he is real by driving an ice spear into his gut? Well, I think that you and I talked through this in the podcast we did with Jason Somerville, where we felt like the White Walkers will make it to Winterfell at the furthest, but not past, you know, you know, are they going to cross the twins? Like how, what, what, what are they doing here? Right. So uh, I don't think they're ever going to make it down towards uh, the reach where, you know, the Tarleys live. So I, I think that this just speaks to the fact that people down here, they have no idea what they're talking about. That's why the Night's Watch can't get any resources that people just think that this is just like an urban legend. Yeah, I think that's probably right. But Sam just took a Valyrian sword. You got to imagine that's going to play a a factor in whatever White Walker war is to come. Mm -hmm. But you would think that he's just going to bring it back with him and not be using like whatever he's going to learn at the Citadel. You imagine there'll be some scenario where Sam still has Heartsbane and returns to the north. Do you think he's still going to the Citadel after this? Mm, I mean, I feel like it's weird for them to just go here pick up the sword, not do the mission that they were supposed to do. I feel like he's got to at least make an appearance at the Citadel. (laughs) Even if only to say like, hi, oh, not going to stay, but thanks for the offer. Do you think that maybe we could just knock out the Citadel in a montage of like Sam, like reading books, taking tests, sort of like one arm push-ups. Making chains. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be a great, great uh, scene. 
I think that's probably would be off the chain. That would be off the chain for sure. Uh, all right. That's it. That's what we've got this week. Okay. All right. So let's just talk through this Sunday. You are going to be uh, on assignment. On assignment. And on so assignment. I will be live with Antonio Mazar. It's my turn to go with Antonio. I'm jealous. And then we are going to podcast it up. Episode number seven. And so we will discuss everything that happens. What's this week's episode name? It is called The Broken Man. The Broken Man? The Broken Man. Who's that? Theon? There's probably a lot of different men are broken. <laughs> All right. So we'll see exactly uh, which broken man we're going to talk about. Could be Jamie. Could be Jamie. He's missing a hand. That's the broken hand. Mm-hmm. So it could be Bran. Could be Bran. Those are the broken legs. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of different broken people on Game of Thrones. We will talk about that this Sunday night live. 10, 15 p.m. Eastern time uh, because we're not waiting for you. Yeah, that's great. That's the, <laughs> that's the perk. Yeah. Good boom. for you so, guys. So a little bit of an earlier show to get things kicked off on a Sunday night. So we will be live right after the episode uh, this week, pending Antonio's schedule. Pending Antonio's schedule. Everybody wins this week. Okay, so uh, we will be back with that. And then uh, Game of Thrones Book Club will be dropping soon as well. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, Want to go hashtag dick on? <laughs> Dick on Tarly. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Are we prepared for that? Were you prepared? Blame George R.R. R. Martin. <laughs> that, that is the character's name. Uh, all right. Okay. <laughs> okay. You're making it like I made this you up. You know what? You know what? It turns out that I am the broken man, right? <laughs> You're the broken man. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we'll be back to talk about the Dick on Tarly of it all. Of it all. Very soon. Very soon. Of course, uh, you know, Josh, I actually just recently just finished my Mr. Robot uh, season one uh, binge. Nice. uh, Which I ended up taking like a bit of a break in between uh, when I watched the first bunch of episodes and then the last couple episodes. But yeah, I finished it as of this morning. That's awesome. That's great. Antonio and I actually just finally recorded uh, our episode four rewatch. We've been a little busy. Me with work. Antonio has had some stuff that he's been dealing with as well. So it took us a while to get to episode four of our Mr. Robot Revisited podcast. It's going to take a little while before we get to episode five, but then we'll double up with some episodes and we'll be back on track. So be patient with us. I think the quality is worth it. This week's podcast, I really enjoyed recording with Antonio. Lots of laughs and lots of really great insight into the story that's going on there. And let me just reiterate, that is a wonderful television program. It's good. Very good show. You're a big Terry Colby fan, I understand. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> would love to podcast at some point uh, and uh, and talk about Terry Cole. We'll get you in there for sure. Later on. All right. So uh, great stuff. Uh, looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Don't forget, post-show recaps uh, nominated for the Podcast Award. Daily voting continues uh, at podcastawards.com. Josh Wiggler and I and, and the post-show recaps team have some podcasts coming along the way on the post-show recaps podcast feed. You can subscribe and listen to those at postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.